I'm going to be talking about Giovanni Aldini, who was born in 1762 and died in 1834, which means I can say whatever I like about him. Um, he became professor of physics at University of Bologna in 1798 and is known for work on the construction and illumination of lighthouses, for experiments on preserving human life and material objects from destruction by fire. But what concerns us tonight is his work on galvanism and its medical applications. And I think one person's villain can be another person's hero. And it's a little difficult to know exactly where Aldini lies. So what is galvanism? It comes from the name of his uncle. So Giovanni was the nephew of Luigi Galvani. And in physics and chemistry, galvanism is defined by an induction of an electric current from a chemical reaction. But in biology, it's defined as contraction of a muscle that is stimulated by an electric current. And this phenomenon was first described by his uncle, uh, Luigi. And Galvani showed that when a, an isolated frog's leg was touched by both a copper probe and a piece of iron at the same time, it would twitch as if an electric current was present. So Galvani thought that animals somehow generated electricity. So he theorised that this action was caused by animal electricity and it started this great debate between a um, compatriot of his, Alessandro Volta, from where we get the word volt. Who, and Volta believed that it was the presence of these two different metals that were generating electricity. And this debate led to Volta actually proving his theory by creating the first chemical battery. And I kind of love these old academic disputes, two people arguing against one another and then it really leads to interesting things happening. However, Galvani did produce a number of interesting findings and he's been called the father of electrophysiology. And this debate between him and Volta led to the creation of electrophysiology, electromagnetism, electrochemistry and the electrical battery. Anyway, to get back to his nephew, Giovanni. Oh, oh, I'm losing a skull. So, so a Gal um, Aldini toured Europe um, conducting experiments in galvanism, essentially wanting to support his uncle's theories. And he, you know, started doing the, the frog leg twitching experiments, um, started, to, started with frogs, then began, began to crave something more exciting. So he began to draw huge crowds as he attempted to reanimate re sheep, pigs, cows and oxen. And apparently animals' heads would shake from side to side and eyeballs would roll and tongues would move in their mouths as these electrical probes were attached to them. So it's a little weird. Um, apparently really impressed the Emperor of Austria, who made him a Knight of the Iron Crown. We kind of feel there should be dragons in there somewhere, but, you know. The th where Aldini got really creepy is he got bored. And he thought, well, if I can do this in animals, surely I can do it on a human, okay? So where was he going to get his dead human subject? Well, the obvious choice was to find an executed prisoner. He had a bit of a problem in Italy because the way they executed prisoners in Italy was by beheading. And what he found was that when you chop someone's head off, their blood drains out. And this draining of blood meant that there was nothing to conduct electricity through the body. So there was, so his electrodes and his battery would do nothing. It's interesting that he started using a battery. In other words, what Volta essentially thought. So he then had a bright idea. He had colleagues in England, and he knew that in England they hanged criminals rather than beheading them. 
So if he just tripped on over to England, he could get himself a nicely fresh tanned human and try out his experiments. So he headed over, had some friends, and somehow was, had a laboratory set up for him in the Royal College of Surgeons, and was able to order a freshly hanged criminal. And it turns out the person that he got hold of was someone named George Foster. George would otherwise be lost to history, apart from his corpse being used by Ordini. Now, George was hanged at Newgate Prison. He was convicted of drowning his wife and child. And um, Newgate Prison actually produced um, a number of uh, reports called the Newgate Calendar. And I actually read the Newgate Calendar of 1803 when uh, George was hanged and uh, looked and, and actually read the, the trial notes, which were rather interesting. Um, he was essentially convicted on circumstantial evidence, which were mainly publicans saying, I, I saw his wife and child here, they had two pints of porter and a pint of ale and they walked off in that direction. And then somebody can, you know, completely um, disputing the story. But anyway, he, he got convicted and hanged. So, Aldini, in his published notes, says that galvanism was communicated at um, this demonstration of which he had a large number of people watching. Galvanism was communicated by means of three troughs combined together each of which contained 40 plates of zinc and many of copper. So in other words, he was using a battery, just like Volta did. And the Newgate calendar uh, reports on exactly what happened. And if I quote from the Newgate calendar, on the first application of the process to the face, the jaws of the deceased criminal began to quiver and the adjoining muscles horribly contorted and one eye was actually opened. In the subsequent part of the process, the right hand was raised and clenched and the legs and thighs were set in motion. Mr. Pass, the beadle of the surgeon's company, and a beadle is a minor official apparently, in other words, the beadle of the surgeon's company, who was officially present during this experiment, was so alarmed that he died of fright soon after his return home. <laughs> so this is where we start to think of Aldini uh, as something of a, a whack job, you know. And now if you read Aldini's actually notes as opposed to the Newgate calendar. Aldini starts out with the same words. The jaw began to quiver, the adjoining muscles were horribly contorted, and the left eye actually opened. Then he says, when one rod was moved to touch the rectum, the whole body convulsed. Indeed, the movements were so much increased as to give an, an appearance of reanimation. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I were dead or alive, Somebody had a huge battery, stuck it up to an electrode, shoved it up my keister, my arms would start flailing about like an inflatable man outside of a car dealership. <laughs> now, this story apparently on subsequent reporting, I guess they had the Herald Sun of the day, began exaggerated to the point that poor George's arms lifted and his head began to spin around. So one wonders where the idea of the exorcist came from. So what do we think of Aldini because of these demonstrations? He does appear something of a villain. However, Aldini also used galvanism to treat patients suffering from mental health disorders. And apparently he did cure a patient suffering from major depression. And his work was the forerunner for electroconvulsive therapy and deep brain stimulation. So I think he's an interesting character, perhaps of intense ego. He is a villain in the fact that he did things he really shouldn't have, and yet perhaps his findings are relevant to us today. 
what I find really interesting about researching and reading about people like um, Aldini is the rabbit holes that it causes you to chase after reading them. In particular, who is it that someone like him influenced? And the people he influenced range from the whack jobs to the wonderful. And if we start with the whack jobs, someone named Carl August Weinhold was influenced by Aldini. Now, Weinhold wanted to take Aldini's experiments to another level. And I read a report that Weinhold decapitated a kitten, removed some of its spinal cord. He then filled the spinal opening with zinc and silver and apparently reported that the kitten's heart began working again. In addition, the animal started to hop and jump. Now, this is why we have peer review. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee that this did not happen. <laughs> if we look towards the wonderful... now. Aldini apparently had a British friend named William Godwin, who was a political philosopher. Now, when Aldini um, did these experiments on poor George Foster in 1803, William had a daughter named Mary, who was five years old at the time. Now, young Mary Godwin um, was the daughter of, obviously, William and his wife, Mary, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft. And Mary, unfortunately, died um, soon after the birth of her daughter, who was obviously named Mary in her honour. Mary Wollstonecraft was an interesting uh, woman in her own right. In 1799, she published um, a feminist treatise on the fact that men and women should be regarded as equal human beings of equal intelligence and equal abilities. And for 1799, that was quite remarkable. Um, her husband, after her death, published a book about her, and tried to um, enlighten the world of his wife. Unfortunately, he, they were both fairly radical for their day, and he did publish a few things about her life prior to marrying him, uh, talked about her uh, relationships with two men, of which she had a child by one prior to marriage, and that basically poisoned um, public opinion against Mary Wollstonecraft right up until, for about 100 years, until the suffragette movement of the late 1890s. However, young Mary, um, Mary and, and William's daughter, 15 years later, she was married and she became a writer of note in her own right. And um, Mary, before she published her most famous book, married a fellow, a poet named Percy Bysshe Shelley. So she became Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley and of course wrote a very famous novel about the monster Frankenstein, which becomes reanimated upon the electrical stimulation of a corpse. So one wonders where exactly she gets those ideas from, and surely from her father, hearing about the experiments that Galvini, uh, that um, Aldini performed at uh, the Royal College of Surgeons all those years before. Again, the rabbit holes that makes you um, research when you're reading this made me start to read a few things about Percy Shelley, Mary's husband. And I'd like to finish this story just by reading a poem of Percy's that I've, I'd heard before and I really enjoy. And I've never read poetry in public before, so let's hope this goes okay. It's only short, and you many of you probably have heard of this poem called Ozymandias. So let's just think about what it says. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, 
a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamp on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lonely level sands stretch far away. So the way I interpret that is that it really doesn't matter how mighty and how powerful you think you are, eventually you're going to be forgotten. And perhaps that's something we can think about on the day of the midterm elections in the US. <laughs> uh, but, but also in the connection to people like Mary Shelley, over 200 years ago, her ideas are still relevant today. How many of us have children in kindergarten? They all know who Frankenstein is. So her ideas survive. And the ideas of, of Aldini, be he villain or hero, he produced concepts that now are relevant to us, that we use in medical applications. And the ideas of battery power could well lead us to when we leave this planet and fly amongst the stars. So my, my words to leave you with, again, uh, power means nothing, but ideas mean everything. Thank you. Thank you.